0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, if it's your first time here, sit back and relax, and uh, hopefully you'll uh, come back and be encouraged again. We just had our Hot Wheels rally yesterday, if you can imagine. We had a track that started here all the way down to the, the doors in the back, and we had uh, almost 60 different racers that were uh, uh, kids from ages 5, I think, to 12 or something like that. And, uh, wow, what a crazy, crazy, uh, few hours we had together. And I just want to say to everybody that volunteered, that helped with money and with work and with time, thank you so much. It was a, it was probably one of the smoothest Hot Wheels rally, uh, we've had in probably a, maybe 10 years. It was really nice to see. And so, uh, but, but, uh, thank you again for all that. Uh, a few things I want to remind you about. One of them is our ladies' retreat is just a couple of weeks away. And I hope you ladies are signed up for this thing. It's uh, Queen of Me, and it's going to be a very interesting weekend together up at uh, Lake Williamson. If you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. Also at the Welcome Center, you're going to see some of these. This is Little Prairie Bible Camp. Uh, we've already got the brochures out. If you're interested in sending your child to Little Pray Bible Camp uh, for a week, we're doing this year we're doing Stranger Things. Or strange things. In the Bible, it's a playoff of stranger things. We're going to look at some strange things in the Bible. Uh, what are difficult for us to believe and accept sometimes that we think are odd. But we're also going to be looking at the element of, as believers in Christ, we appear to be strange in the world. They think there's something weird about us. And so we're going to be looking at that every week from primary week, which are the small kiddos, which I'm uh, many of us go there and I direct all the way up to our teenagers. That's going to be going on uh, here in uh, June and July. Also, this is something I really want to make sure you you hear, if you're especially if you're married. Our marriage retreat. We had two particular weekends that we were looking at, and I think in the calendar it may have a uh, September weekend, and I think 23rd or something like that. But but we've moved those dates, just moved them up a week earlier, uh, on 15th and uh, through the 17th of September. We're going to be having our marriage treat in New Harmony, Indiana. And we're going to be looking at the music and marriage is going to be the theme. And we've already got a special speaker coming. Can't wait. But make sure you make that adjustment and look at Church Center and you'll see that those dates have, are being adjusted. Let's see. We're in a series called uh, As for Me and My House. And I appreciated Mike last week uh, taking care of that coming back from the Ark Encounter. You know, that has to be that has to be kind of cool. And so I'm uh, uh, glad that he uh, did that on Noah. Today I want to look at a familiar, in fact, one of the most popular households in Scripture. Uh, and it's probably a home we seldom connect our house to, but we probably should. We think of something else when we look at this family. Now this family we're going to look at today is not a perfect family. They're, in fact, they're basically a normal family. They have family drama like you have in yours. They've got it going on there. But it's also a home that's full of humility. That it has this trait of humility, where they they'll admit their mistakes or they'll be vulnerable and real with each other. That this father in this in the parent in this story is understanding. He's not demanding. He isn't. He doesn't give a lecture, but he tries to encourage his kids, and he and he respects his kids. Also, this household is filled with lots of love. You read 1 Corinthians 13, then read about this family and you see all the traits of 1 Corinthians 13 in this particular family. And there's lots of love. The kind of love that, that protects and provides and leads and guides and directs. That kind of love. That tells the truth. They're honest with each other. One of the things I really cherish about my mother and I is we just let it all hang out. As like when someone said, like sauerkraut, we let it all hang out. We talk about everything. When she was in the hospital last week, she's home, thank God, and she's recuperating. And during that whole week, that she was in the hospital. She had, they gave her some steroids, so she was chattering like a chipmunk, and I was listening, and we talked about everything you could imagine. I'm so glad my mother and I have this kind of relationship where we can be that way. I feel loved, and she feels loved because we talk to each other And we tell the truth. And this family was no different. It's a love in this home that has got lots of affection. Lots of hopes and dreams are in this love. Or in this home. They hope for the best. And it's a love that trusts each other and respects the boundaries of each other as the children grow and as that expands. And most of all, it's a love that forgives. And that's a big thing. You put anybody, put two people, or seven people together in a, in a house. And they're not gonna get along all the time. And yes, it requires lots of, lots of love and lots of forgiveness. And it's also a spiritual family. It has spiritual values. The parents are concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children. That's what I notice about this family. And so they, and so they're really, really, uh, want their kids to be right with God. And so much this home has all these ingredients that their kids they want to make sure if they ever get away from the Lord that they'll come back home. Now it's a place where I believe the doors are always open and the lights are always on. It's a it's a it's a place to come back to. And uh, what family am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about a family that Jesus spoke spoke of in Luke 15. Again, I don't know if we ever connect this family with our family. I think we're always connecting it with our relationship with God. But with that in mind, think about your family and think about the atmosphere of this particular family. It's called the family of the lost son or the prodigal or the loving father. It goes like this. There was a man, and by the way, this is a story that's been used for generations and Jesus is just repeating it. There was a a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Because there's two sons, the younger son gets a third of his dad's inheritance. The older son gets two-thirds. I don't know if my sons are expecting it to go that way with us. Uh, I know that Matt probably wouldn't be excited to hear that. But that's how it works back then. He got one-third. The older son got two-thirds. Says not long after that, the younger son got together together all he had. He he picked up everything he could get. And it says he leaves... For a distant country, he gets as far away from his his parents as he can, from his house as he can. And it says he squanders his wealth in wild living. By the way, the word prodigal means squanderer. So that's what what that prodigal son comes from. He squanders it away. It says here with uh, his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, that was, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's a Jewish kid, and a pig is the last thing you want to be around if you're a Jew. When he came to his senses... What's it? What's what does that mean? He came to himself. He saw himself. I heard a preacher years ago when I was a kid at church camp say this. He said, anybody here grow up on a hog farm? And I went, yeah. And he goes, when you're out there in the hog farm, what kind of puddles do you see? And I said, well, there's mud puddles. And what's the liquid that's in those puddles most of the time? I said, well, that's it's pig pee. He says, imagine this guy. Is feeding himself and maybe the trough. It's a reflection of the trough. And he sees his own reflection. That's what it means that he came to his senses. He saw his face in a reflection of hog pee. Of hog slop. That's how bad it is for this guy. Okay? And he's like, man, I I had it better when I, at home. And that's what he begins to realize. And so he begins to practice this speech. I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll go back home and I'll just tell Dad, look, you don't have to make me a son anymore. I blew all my stuff. I know that. Just make me a servant. I'll do, I just want a good meal and a warm bed and a roof over my head. That's all I want. And the Bible says here that while he was still a long way off, his father, he's working his way back home. While he's a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. There's that love. He had pity for him and he ran to his son Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Your parents ever ran to you when you were a kid? Was it always good? I know when my dad was running with me, he had a belt in his hand. I didn't think that was going to end well. But he runs and he kisses him and he throws his arms around him and he says, and his son goes, okay, here's the speech now. Dad, I, I've, and he, before he can get it out, he says quick to his servants, Get some shoes, put them on his feet, get a ring, put it on his finger, put a robe on and kill the fatted calf. You ever heard anybody say that? We're going to kill the fatted calf. That phrase means that, by the way, they they actually had a, a cow or a calf ready to celebrate. It was a major celebration when someone was coming back from far away. He goes, and let's go. We're going to celebrate. And he gets back home. And, and, he, and uh, the other son, the older son, what's he hear? He hears, he hears all this music and he comes in and he sees this party and the older son isn't very happy. It says here, meanwhile the older son was in the field and when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Oh, your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he is back safe and sound. No place like home. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Isn't that interesting? Slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And the father looks at him and says, My son you are, listen to this, you're always with me. You're always with me. Talk about love there, companionship. You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have now. The younger brother's already got his inheritance. Everything I've got right now is yours. Don't you see? We've got to celebrate. Because this brother... Of yours, who was dead is alive; who was lost is found; who was gone is back. Now I know we we use this passage. It's and Jesus is telling this passage about how we should feel about anyone. You know how he feels about us. Am I right? We this is how the parables talking about how lost coin, you know, lost sheep. And here's a lost son. Here's how God feels when you're away. And I know I've never thought of this in the in the idea of my home, though. So start thinking like that for a minute. Because this is the home God wants you and I to have. This is the kind of home He has. And He wants you to have that too. The kind of place where your kids will come back. Now I know I'm treading on some minefields right now. I know some of you families have experienced some hurt and pain. You may say, well, Tim, you know, you got it. Your sons are still here. Your sons are still. I just want to say, I just want to tell you, you don't think we have our share of pain, our share of drama in our family? All the time. And I don't know how I'd feel if one of my sons were to leave and never come back. My heart breaks for you. Oh God, let this lesson encourage you, not beat you up. Mark was walking out after Mike's lesson and says, I feel like somebody beat me up with a two by four. I've read some of your prayer requests, some of your prayer, I feel like a failure during this series. That is not the intention. That has never been the intention from the pulpit during this series to make you feel shame. I'm trying to encourage you. and Help me, pray for me to do better, okay? Because God wants you to have a home like this. And you can have a home like this. He will help you have a home like this. What can I do to make my home a place to come back to? Number one, I keep loving my family. That's that's all you can do. You just got to keep loving your mom when she's saying stupid things, or your dad when he does something stupid, or your kids when they they're really really dumb and they just blow it. Just so I, I just looked the other way. Well, that's not love. Read First Corinthians thirteen. It rejoices in the truth. Love confronts. Love talks, but love is kind. Love is firm. Love keeps. Doesn't give up. It keeps hanging in there, and there's lots of love in this house. That's what I notice. There's hugging, and kissing, and giving, companionship. The truth is being there. Lots of kindness in this house. Lots of humility. There's celebration in this house. Love rejoices, is what 1 Corinthians 13 says, right? It rejoices. And there's sacrifice in this love. This father gives his son his inheritance early. And then starts giving him more. And there's lots of forgiveness. I get the impression that dad feels the same way toward the son who left as he does toward the son who stayed. Do you get that impression? He loves them both. And he has to love them both. And both of them mess up. Even when they stay. I don't like this. Why didn't you give me... You, gave, you won't even give me a dirty old goat. And he said, oh, but uh, man, everything. Oh, oh. You could just see him letting him vent, letting him complain, not getting out his staff and going, how many times have I told you not to talk to me like that? No, none of that. Yeah, but would you consider this? Think about this. Look at this. This is what's really going on. I'd like to think he persuaded the older brother too. But that's the that's the impression I get. Why does he love them both like this? Because they both need that love. The child that leaves and the child that stays, they both need loved. So I got to keep loving them, whether they stay or go. And this is a, this is a real touchy thing, but it's, it, it hurts to do this. I know that. Look at this again. What, uh, look at these passages. Again, 20, verse 20 and verse 31. While the sons are still a long way off, the father sees him. Filled with compassion, he runs to his son. throws it. He starts hugging him. He starts kissing him. And the older brother, he, makes, he just reaffirms his love and says, listen, you've always been with me, it says there in verse 31. And everything I have is yours. See, this is not shallow, emotional, subjective love that we're used to having in our relationships. I'll love you as long as you do what I want. I'll love you as long as I approve. I'll love you as long as it's going well. No, I, love is the kind, that remains, it stays. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Every, faith and hope may go, but love always remains. It keeps going. Now, when I hear something like that, I got I to tell you something, folks. I don't like to hear that. Because love is hard to do. Am I right? Some of you have had... I have two family members that have been really horrible. And I'm to love them like nothing's happened. Never said that. Never said that. But it's hard to keep loving somebody when they disappoint you. Or keep loving somebody when they're hurting you. When I was a kid, I heard this song from Nazareth called Love Hurts. Um, I listened to it like a dozen times today. I couldn't get it out of my head. I kept going, should I share this? Yeah, I'm going to share it. Here's how it goes. Love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds. And Mars. And it says, any heart not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, to take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud. It holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Love hurts. I know it isn't true. I know it isn't true. Love is just a lie made to make you blue. Love hurts. Love hurts. And I can tell you as a parent, I've been hurt many times. I can tell you as a child, I've been hurt many times. Loving people can be painful. Especially, you look at Jesus and look at God's love and the pain He went through. To love is to hurt sometimes. We watch our children get hurt. We watch they disappoint us. We watch our parents fight. We watch our parents do stupid stuff. And it's hard to keep loving them. It's easy when it's easy. But... They don't call it tough love for nothing. It's hard. And so I have to continue to love, man, somehow manage and maneuver through all these danger, dangerous places and keep loving people and loving my family even when they disappoint me. Irma Bombeck here up on the screen. I've got to think. I thought, I thought of my mom. I read it to her and we, we laughed and cried together this week. Here's what Irma Bombeck said, because this is my mother. Someday when my children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates a mother, I'll tell them, I loved you enough to bug you about where you're going, with whom and what time you'd get home. I loved you enough to be silent and let you discover your friend was a creep. I loved you enough to make you return a Milky Way with a bite out of it to the drugstore and confess, I stole this. But most of all, I loved you enough to say no when you hated me for it. And that was the hardest part of all. I watched my mom. I was watching her this this week. 91. That's the woman that took care of me. That's the woman that put up with me. How many times I messed up and you wouldn't know it. She wouldn't show it. She'd continue to love me and encourage me. Love is hard to do. But you know, you and I can do it. And when we love our family, just keep loving them. You say, well, Tim, what's that look like? You know, figure it out and pray and ask Ask around and say, what do I do? do Just keep loving your family member like God loves you. You see, if, if your children are ever to have a chance of coming back to God or coming back home, you've got we've got to continue to love them. You know, one of the things that I've learning as a parent and as a grandparent now, my kids raise their kids differently than I would. It's just different. And it's okay. just got to keep loving them. Number 2. I never let my the rest of my household forget we are family. This is something I notice in this passage. You know, the son is the son has been really dumb. He's really done some dumb stuff here. He's lost everything, and on his way home he's rehearsing what he's going to say, and then he sees his dad running. or at least he sees a man running and then he realizes it's his dad and like I said before that cannot not not always be a pleasant thing to see and notice what the Bible says here the son said him, father I have sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and he had more stuff to say but before he could do it look what what the next verse says but the father said to his servants quick circle that word quick that's significant quick quick Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Why is dad running? Well, it's not to rub it in. It's to restore. It's to repair. And it's so urgent, he says, quick. We need to do this quickly. What's so urgent? He wants his son to know as soon as possible, you're still my son. Servants didn't wear sandals. They didn't have a special ring or a robe. All these emblems are, we know this, many of us know this story. All these emblems are sonship emblems. And he's making it clear, you're going to look like my son when you come back in this house. Because you were my son when you were out of this house. Amen. Whatever, whatever, whatever you're going through, listen. The rest of the family needs to know they're still a part of the family. We should never let our kids, let our, our parents, forget that. Because it, whatever they do doesn't change the fact that they still are a member of the family. I think that motivates them to come back when they act like they're not. They'll go where they know they can go back to, and that's home. Number three, I trust God to work when my family is apart. Alan one time said to me years ago, I'll never forget it. He goes, do you think God works when you're not around? And I went, huh? Well, yeah. You ever think about that? No, (laughs) I never think about that. I usually think about, no, I, I gotta, I gotta get in there and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, and sometimes God's going, Tim, I I gotta have you sit down and take a nap here because I'm gonna do something and I don't need your help in this situation. Not everything needs to be learned from you. There's lots of lessons to be learned in other ways. And as you read, as you read this Luke 15, I notice the, uh, as you read it, there are, there's lost sheep, there's lost coin. The shepherd, for example, the shepherd is, um, leaves the 99 sheep. He leaves them and goes searching. He goes out and, out and searches for this lost sheep. The woman loses a coin. What she do? She's all around the house looking, trying to find this coin. But the dad, when the son leaves, stays put. He doesn't go anywhere. Does he know something that we don't know? Maybe. Maybe what he knows is, is that, well, if he doesn't learn the lessons here, they're waiting for him out there. God's going to work on him out there. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. God begins to work. Well, can God work without me? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do I do? I just need to trust God to work sometimes. Sometimes life, the way he's made life, he's made it in a way to where it will make us stop and think. I know a a friend of mine who has a daughter in New York City who's completely left the Lord. And every Monday we pray for his daughter. And he's telling me, I don't know what's going on, but something's happened in New York. She has met somebody and she's starting to think, rethink about what she's learned. See the lessons they don't learn at home. They're gonna. God's gonna make sure, or He's gonna at least make sure they're exposed to the to the lessons out outside. Uh, there's this passage up here on the screen. You'll notice sometimes it takes a painful experience to make make us change our ways, and that's exactly what happens to the prodigal. He leaves the comforts of home. He thinks I'm getting away from here. He thinks it's not that good at home, and then he gets out in the world and he finds out. Oh boy! And what happens? Well, it says it says not all after that. A younger, the younger son got together all he had and set out for the distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And then it says a severe famine happened. It happened. Oh, that's just coincidental. Oh, that's life. That's just life. And he began to be in need and he hired himself out to somebody. He just, <laughs> he just wanted a meal. He was so desperate. Lost everything. And then it says when he came to his senses, he thought about home. How many of my father's servants, it says there, they have food to spare and I'm starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll go back. Sometimes, sometimes you have to get out of the house in order to get it. I remember I couldn't wait to get out of my house. I couldn't wait. Finally, got a job. Living in a trailer with a guy that ate all the food. I bought I bought sixty dollars of the food back then. That's a lot of money. Brought it all home, and he, and one evening he had a, he ate it all. I had a a banquet chicken. Remember, you know, they used to have a box that you could like like twenty pieces of chicken, and I put it in the oven and I cooked all of it. Oh, it smelled great. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to take this to work, and I went and I ate some. And I get ready to go to work. I'm getting all ready to go. I come out, and the chicken's all gone. He ate all of it. A dirty dog. I couldn't wait to get out of my house to get into that. I remember coming home. I come home one night, and uh, I'm like this, you know. It's 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. I'm tired. It's a Saturday. I'm 19 years old. 18, 19. You would think 18, 19 year old Saturday night. Not me. I'm walking up steps. Mom, here's the creaking. Where are you going? I'm going to bed. Well, what happened to all that partying and all that fun you're going to do? I don't want to do that right now. I just want to get some sleep. I didn't realize how crazy. There's a lot of stuff out here in the world that I didn't, I wasn't ready for. Like paying bills, doing taxes. Showing up at work, washing your own clothes. Nobody told me about this stuff. They didn't teach me this at home. Well, I got to learn outside of home. Sometimes you got to get out to get it. And when the child gets out, listen. When your child or my child, our children get out, whether it's for the evening or for the rest of their lives, we can always be praying God will work and take care of them. Not just protect them, but teach them. Help them grow. Help them learn some things. My father, as crazy as I thought he was, I used to call him a hidden Nazi. That's the truth. As crazy as he was, as I've gotten older, has gotten wiser. Wasn't even a Christian. Pretty smart man. Now I know what he was doing. But it took me a while to figure it out. I had to get out to get it. And so our kids, I just want to say to you, if you've got some kids out there, they haven't quit living or learning because they're out of your house. Like Alan says to me, God's working on them. You don't have to be there. Just pray that God does, and pray that God works on them. I pray, you know, I pray for my sons. God, work on them. Don't kill them. Don't kill them. But work on them. I love this passage in Jeremiah. I've stumbled across it preparing for this lesson. I love the promise here. I am the God of every person on the earth. Even my kids, yeah. Even my grandkids. You know, I'm going to die and I'm not going to be able to do anything about what my grandkids are going to do. But the God of every person will be with them. I love that. The God of every person. I'm the God of every person on earth. You know that nothing is impossible for me. I I will take care of it, Tim. I'll do everything I can. They still have the choice. They still have a choice whether they want to follow God or not, but I am going to do everything I can to bring him back. Here's the fourth thing. And it's a sense of urgency. I'm willing to restore what has been broken. I'm urgent about restoring what's broken. My favorite part of the story, and perhaps yours, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. There's a book called, Will God Run? I've heard a song, and God ran. And you know, it's a beautiful story. And it's a beautiful song, the idea that here's a God that's running to his son that's coming back. And this is very interesting because there's a couple of things I notice here. One is that as one part of this idea I've always known or known a long time. And it is that in the Middle East, Middle Eastern culture, men did not run. They just didn't do that. Women would run and children would run, but men didn't do that. If you did run, you, uh, because in order to run, you had to pull your tunic up and hike it a little bit or tuck it and it exposed your bare legs. My dad had the whitest legs, I believe, in the world. You know, they were, you could see the veins. I mean, it's like scary. Okay. And it was just shameful, you know, for a, for a man to run exposing his bare legs. It looked humiliating. People thought it was silly. And this man doesn't care. If he's humiliated. He doesn't care. He'll go through humiliation to get it right. He'll swallow his pride. And swallow his pain. And his resentment. And his dissatisfaction. He'll swallow it. In order to get to his son. Is there a lesson here? I've learned something. I'm learning something. I wrote it down just before I came out here. That restoration requires humiliation. And let's be honest. Many times we don't, want to, we don't want to do that. And that's why things continue to be broken. I'm thinking about family members I've got that's broken right now and realizing I've got to be willing to be humiliated if I want to restore Admit my part? Yeah. And not be worried if they don't admit theirs. That I yield myself to them. Yield my way. But there's another element here I want to speak of that's happening that I didn't realize See, I told you earlier, Jesus is telling a familiar story. It is a story that's been handed down from generations in the Jewish culture. It's a popular story, one of the most popular stories ever told in Jewish culture. But the ending, Jesus has changed. Because in the original story, a kazaza is being done. What is a kazaza? I thought this was weird. What in the world's that? Well, a kazaza is when you see a, somebody coming back to the village or coming back home and they've been a squanderer and someone in the village or a family member run out there with a pot that's full of rotten vegetables and they either pour it out at the feet of the, the prodigal or they throw the pot and, and say, like these dead vegetables, you are dead to us. Now when I think about that, that gives, causes me to pause and think about why is the father running? He has no pot in his hands. Ever occur to you, he may be running so he can be the first one there before someone else does something like that to him? He wants to get there first. That's why he says, quick, put a robe, put a ring, put a shoe on him. No rotten vegetables today. Here comes somebody from the village. Is that your son? Is that your son? Yes. And they got a pot too late. If you've got a problem with him, you're going to have to come through me now because he's my son. He's, he's restored. is that awesome? He's running to get there before someone else. Before some other voice. And I want you to know, think about this church. I, what I'm thinking is all the voices that you and I could meet if we were coming back to God or our children were coming back home, the voices they could hear even their own I should get ahead of. Even the older brother look at the older brother, he's got a problem what's the father do? Wait, wait a minute you got a problem with me now because because your brother is back there Put your pot down. It's too late. And I believe this is, this is probably the thing about the story that I just, I just like the most is this idea of, of how urgent and willing am I to restore? How, I'll say it this way, even this. Because sometimes we have to wait a long time for someone to come back. Am I ready? When they do. If I'm if I'm creating a home. That's attractive to come back to. Will I be ready. When that time comes. Now as we close. I just want to say. Obviously the point Jesus is making. Here is. That how God feels about you and I. When we wander off. And maybe you're somebody. You've. You've gotten away from things and you're wanting to get, I'd like to get back into church. I'd like to get back in a group. I'd like to get back in a relationship with God. Let me tell you, the father is running to you down. He has no pot. He has no whip. He isn't going to say, I told you so. I tried to tell you a thousand times. How many sermons did you hear? How many people tried to? He's not going to rub it in. He's going to go, Hey, what can we do? I want you back. That's the obvious, that's the obvious lesson there. He'll go through humiliation again. So why not come back? Why not why not say, "Lord, I, I want to be back." And I would encourage you to do that. But I also want you to think about this when you think about your home and your family. That Jesus uses this family to encourage you and I to be the same way to do the same thing. And if you've been if you're if you're going through something right now and you're discouraged about maybe a, a son, a daughter, a mom, dad, a grandparent, a nephew, a niece, I mean, whatever it be. I just want to encourage you to know you tr- keep trusting the Lord here. He's working. You keep calling out to God, saying, God, would you work on my son? Would you work on my daughter? Would you work on my dad? Would you work on my mom? I prayed for, I prayed for my mom for so long, I thought I'd never see her become a Christian. And she did. Praise God. I'm watching her at the hospital room. We're talking this week. She's talking like, well, I guess this is it. I go, huh? Huh? You know, I've been in the ER now a second time. I think this is it. Mom, I don't know. And we, she's home lying in the recliner, and goes, well, I guess I was wrong. I guess God's not done with me yet. I said, I don't think he's done with you. But she told me that whole week being in the hospital, she got to share her faith with all these people. It was cool. I watched her doing it. I thought, this is fantastic. And I prayed for, for that to happen. I prayed for a day when I'd see my mother in the kingdom of God. Same is true of my brother. Lots of prayer, lots of fasting, and lots of waiting. And then the opportunity happened. Thank God I, I was ready. I wouldn't, if I'd have been, but not been ready, I don't know if he'd have become a Christian. And I'm saying to you, maybe you've had some kids grow up in the church and they've left. You get ready whenever they come home. Whenever you have contact with them. Get yourself ready to always love them. Don't shy from the truth. But be kind. Be patient. Right? Be this kind of parent. Be this kind of family member. And watch it attract your home. And draw them closer to God. If you fall, if you mess up, just admit it and go on and keep going. Just be ready to run and maybe you'll get to celebrate. You've got a card in your bulletin there and maybe you'd like to make a comment or maybe a prayer request. I know, again, um, I know many of you here have family members you would love to see um, Home with God. In good, in good spirits with God, or be able to have a dialogue with them again. Even, why don't you why don't you write something down? Let some people pray about that, and maybe God will open the door, and, and uh, you'll get to experience that. I just know that when we talk to God, things happen. We've been praying as a church, you know, more and more serious about prayer, and God is changing us. Things are happening, church. It's really cool to see. Well, maybe you're somebody that's 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 gotten away from God and it's time to get back. Just say, look, I want to be back. How do I get back? What do I need to do? What's my next step? And let us help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the stories and for the families that are in your Bible. And Father, I I uh, think about just how sometimes these families can be intimidating, but oh God, they're so encouraging. Let let your families in your word and the families around us encourage us uh, to fill us with hope love always hopes it perseveres give us that kind of love help us love our family warts and all To let them that, that they that they never wonder if they're a part of our family that we somehow communicate that lord give us the strength to do that help us fill our fill our homes with love Help us be ready to run if and when a child of yours or a child of ours works his way back. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. To
1: know you as my Father, to know you as my King, to know you in your resurrection power and suffering. To know you as my teacher, to know you as my light, to know you as a lamp unto my
2: feet all through the night.
1: To know you as my savior, to know you as my lord, to know you as a coming
2: king who reigns
1: is crashing
2: in.